Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. President Biden said this week that during his trip to Europe in June, he hopes and expects to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. That can be arranged, said a paperweight on his desk. I need to pay better attention to the jokes. Yeah, so, so explain that one, Sean. Russia spying. Oh! Oh. President Biden it. said this yes. week that during his trip to Europe in June, he hopes and expects to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. That can be arranged, said a paperweight on his desk. All of a sudden, Russians yeah. are able to talk to him through the paperweight. They're spying on the president. I thought it was like a delusional old man joke. I feel, like, I feel like I was left flat by that. Can you hit me with another joke? Let's see if this one makes me laugh. Yeah, one that's funny, huh? Star quarterback Tom Brady said recently that he would trade two of his seven Super Bowl rings to have won a championship at the end of his 2007 undefeated season. Sorry, but we already made a deal, said Satan. Huh? No? Sorry, we already made a deal, so, me and Tom, you. Tom Brady made a deal with the devil to, uh, to have, you know, the whole yes. model, good looks, seven Super Bowls, all that. Right. He was no a six-round pick. How does, he, yeah. how does he become the best quarterback of all time? <laughs> right, exactly. We'll, we have to get to this. This is uh, something that is funny. I guarantee it's funny. Somebody, some comedian did this skit where he, you ever, you ever watch at the end of a ball game and they're doing the press conference and they're talking to the losing coach and he's there and he's like <laughs> sweaty and his shirt's loose and he's like, yeah, we just, we had a rough day out there today. It's a dad talking about his day raising his kids oh, as I if he's that. a, as if he's a coach in a press conference. And it's I funny. love that we'll idea. Get to that this half hour. Cool. Great. Also this hour. Shocking demographic uh, information out of China. China is shrinking like a pair of jeans in a too hot dryer. Oh my God! They better get that under control. They'll fall down to only a billion people. Well, there, there are ramifications, sir. Also, speaking of Asia, uh, how Japan is planning to pull off the Olympics and some interesting stats on Japan's COVID experience that blew my mind. So last hour. Jack brought us the the tale of uh, progressives who are still hardcore COVID sheltering, even though nobody says it's necessary. Um, what was the premise of the article or the from the Atlantic? The liberals who can't quit lockdown. Yeah, that's it, right? And we were trying to like psychoanalyze what's going on there. And I was reminded of a piece that Jonah Goldberg wrote that uh, alert listener Mort passed along. And I tell you what, a guy named Mort—that's a man of substance. That's a man who won't do you wrong. It's a solid fellow, Mort. You're not going to run into a Mort who's like flighty and a dreamer. No, that's a solid man, Mort. Anyway, Mort passed this along, and it's Jonah talking about uh, a radio show he'd heard, which I, I listen to now and again, uh, Radio Lab. They do a pretty good job. I mm-hmm. mean, they're, they're liberals, but they're, they're skilled radio people. Um, here's the premise. If in some cataclysm, all of scientific knowledge were to be destroyed, and only one sentence was passed on to the next generation of creatures, what statement would contain the most information in the fewest words? That was a question posed by the legendary physicist Richard Feynman, who was trying to revamp the physics curriculum for undergrad students at Caltech. And the goal was to explain to them why physics mattered and how it should be taught to students in the hopes of inspiring them to become physicists and unlock the secrets of the universe. Um, what an interesting thing. One sentence you can pass on to the next post-technological society. They're starting to, they're practically apes. 
<clears throat> his own answer to his own question was, uh, he said, I believe it's the atomic hypothesis or the atomic fact or whatever you want. Here it is. All things are made of atoms, little particles that move around in perpetual motion, attracting each other when they are a little distance apart, but repelling upon being squeezed into one another. In that one sentence, you'll see there's an enormous amount of information about the world. If you apply a little imagination thinking, uh, that is the secret to physics. Uh, he goes on to explain uh, that this one sentence would open a world of scientific inquiry for a civilized uh, civilization eager to hear it. Okay, uh, And we'll post Jonah's piece because it has links to the physicist's lecture, for instance, and, and if you want to read up or listen to any of this on your own. So... Jonah says, I learned about this all from a recent episode, uh, radio episode of Radio Lab, a uh, program I enjoy, but I hated this episode. Hate is the right word. Hate. <laughs> he says it three times. The setup was fascinating, as was the initial illumination of what Feynman was getting at. The idea for the show itself was great. They set out to ask experts from a wide swath of life what their one sentence would be. So let me cut to the chase, he writes, and tell you what I hope for. I wanted to hear an engineer answer Feynman's question, and a mathematician. I wanted to hear from medical doctors, political scientists, geneticists, economists, legal scholars, historians. I wanted to know what head start they would give a society starting from scratch. It's an amazing exercise. Boil down the most important insight from your life's work and the work of everyone else in your discipline into the most information-filled sentence possible for the purpose of giving a new civilization a head start. And remind, if, do you have a? Do you have one? I, I don't. I would love to think about it for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Just thinking about it for a couple of minutes, I think something along the lines of look around you and look at your life experience of the way people behave. People always behave that way. They will always behave that way. Human nature is immutable. That's Im- a good Im- one. Immutable. Can't that, change change. You can write it down. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do spell check. Keep in mind we are working our way back to the progressives who won't let go of COVID knockdown, okay. uh, lockdown. All right? So, so, so stay with me now. So anyway, he points out that it would be a fascinating exercise to hear all those different ideas. Uh, and he says, by the way, as awesome as that would be, I'm not a gross materialist or technocrat. I'd love the opportunity to hear a theologian offer a single sentence to guide a new sure. civilization. What guidance would a Christian scholar give? How about a Buddhist, a Muslim? Philosophers have something intriguing to say. To say. Instead, I mostly heard a lot of nonsense and preening, the specifics of which we'll share with you in a second. That was our original air names, nonsense and preening. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. uh, man, we wore tuxedos, and uh, they were a weird kind of show then. It never caught on. Yeah, I would just spout crap that didn't make any sense, and then Jack would talk about how wonderful we are. It was nonsense and preening. <laughs> Actually, let me. When we get to the meat of this, you're gonna love it. I so love stay the tuned. meat. But simply is this safe. This a salad we've been enjoying. Maybe a cheese platter. Simply Safe is an award-winning home security system. We've told you about the technology. It's great. It's the best. It wins all sorts of awards. But what really sets Simply Safe apart are its people, highly trained security experts who keep an eye out for when you need help any time of day. So you've taken the entire thirty minutes it's probably going to take you to set up this home, uh, Simply Safe home security system yourself. Nobody came to your home. Now you've got it set up, and when an alarm goes off, a person who cares is there for you with a phone call to make sure you're okay. And then when an emergency happens, a person who cares is there for you by getting fire and police respondents to your front door right away. And even if you're just having a problem setting up your system, a person who cares is there for you with a friendly chat and a quick resolution. For your house, your workshop, your business, Simply Safe. Just go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. You get a free security camera just because you know us. 
And you can customize your system to your space. It's a 60-day risk-free trial. Nothing to lose. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Again, simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Okay, so having set up this really cool question, people from various disciplines distill it down to the one sentence you want to tell a new civilization that's springing up from the ashes of ours. They got no technology. They have no science. They got nothing. What one sentence would you give them? Apparently, they talked to a very large group of people, but only a handful made the cut, writes Jonah. The first out of the block was Caitlin Dowdy, a writer and mortician who thought it vital to tell the sentient inheritors of the earth, you will die, and that's the most important thing. Next came Esperanza what, what, Spalding. What, what, You can't just move on from that. That's oh, your advice so much. for a new... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for that info. I'll... All right. Next came Esperanza Spaulding, who gave an interesting but familiar summary of the reintroduction of wolves in Yellowstone in order to set up the idea that it's important to respond creatively to fear. Cord Jefferson, a Hollywood screenwriter, first offered the following. Race isn't real unless you make it real, at which point it will become the biggest problem in the whole world. But then he switched to a sermonette on how fear is the root of all of our problems. Uh, I, I won't bore you with the rest of that, but Meryl Garbus, a musician, th- also thinks fear is a problem. Big problem. She thought it would be most helpful to sing her sentence. Unfortunately, I couldn't understand the words. I've been taking them in order, but you get the point. Other contributions included the vital importance of telling these new beings that God is dead, that God is a woman, that everything is connected. The writer Nicholson Baker came out came within orbit of an interesting point. He noted that if, say, a superintelligent form of seals, yes, seals, inherited uh, Feynman's sentence about physics, it wouldn't be particularly useful for their needs. They'd want to figure out how to get around to the beach and maybe invent a slide that gets them into the water faster. If you gave them the atomic hypothesis, what is that very bright seal going to do? Invent a nuclear bomb? But then he said, we should tell them, you know more than you can say. It was an interesting little disquisition on how words don't capture reality fully, but if I wanted to build a civilization, I'd use that slip of paper as kindling for fire. What good would that do the seals? How would that get them closer to the beach? Anyways, <laughs> long and short. Uh, that, that For that matter, how would telling them they'll die one day, or that God is a woman, or that she doesn't exist, be of any help in any other effort? Etc., uh, etc. Et and then... um. Then the futurist Jaron Lanier was the biggest disappointment um, because essentially uh, he was worried about them building an atomic bomb with the physicist's information. One Reddit commentator hit it on the hit the nail on the head when he or she said they destroyed an exceptional topic and made it into a therapy session for sad people. <laughs> A therapy session for sad people. And and here's where I, I, I hope to bring it home. And I know this is getting a little long, but I just think it's terrific. There is an amazing amount of ingratitude embedded in those assumptions, made all the more appalling by the fact that Radiolab is usually good at science. In this episode, while conceding that the Feynman hypothesis would illuminate the path to understanding genetics, biology, engineering, and, of course, physics, as well as all the material things that these disciplines provide, from vaccines to electric light bulbs to spaceships, electron microscopes to the very podcasts that pay their bills. They corralled a wide assortment of people to say, nah, the best guidance you could give a new civilization is stuff you'd read on the bulletin board outside the office of a woman's studies professor or maybe the school's therapist. We've spent thousands of years clawing out of a natural environment where it was normal for humans, including babies, to die in pain. 
We created machines and other technology, including political technology, that made the creation of art and beauty and long-fulfilled lives possible. And it didn't seem to occur to anyone that we might owe more to the aqueduct, the cotton gin, the microchip, or the Constitution than we do to a Hollywood screenwriter who struggled with racism, or an artist who thinks that the one thing the next civilization needs most is a painting of God as a woman. It's just staggering how much these people take for granted. But that doesn't even capture their contempt. The upshot of what most of their answers is that stuff they're taking for granted doesn't even really matter, might even be bad. What matters is their feelings and their little pet projects and grievances. It's like they're holding a seminar on diversity training on a ship at sea as the iceberg cuts a swath through the hull. Rather than think seriously about how to survive or help others survive, they're desperate to make one last point about the importance of self-esteem or maybe NEA funding. There was a time when, in America when practical knowledge was recognized as vital to improving the material conditions of Americans. Uh, it goes on for a little while longer. We're coming up on a break. Whether by text at 415-295-KFTC or email, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com, what's going on here? The contempt for all that is practical and wonderful and amazing that's made human life so good and instead bitching about tiny little problems. I like it. I don't know. I don't know if I can diagnose it exactly, but we'd love to hear your answer. It's an interesting conversation. Um, Coming up, among other things, a dad at the end of the day in a press conference about how his day went. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I am for securing this state. I am pro-law enforcement. I am pro-border protection. Okay? ICE, pro-ICE. We need these people, and they do a wonderful job. So that's just a little bit of a very long interview uh, Sean Hannity had with Caitlyn Jenner, who's running for governor of California. I took in about half of it. It was pretty typical fair. Not that I mean that in a bad way, but it was uh, she came off as a pretty typical politician, um, you know, uh, with the right answers for people who lean to the right. And um, the clips I've heard were solid. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Uh, MS- Reasonable. MSNBC's Joy Reid says Caitlyn Jenner does not represent the trans community, so that's that usual thing of unless yeah. you're, <laughs> if unless you're part of the party you're supposed to be in a certain group, then clearly you're there's something wrong with you. And apparently um, Joy Reid's in charge of deciding that. Yeah, yeah. How handy for the rest of us. I had one other comment on the. Uh, I don't remember what it was. Anyway, maybe I'll think of that later on. It seems like we're a long way away. Um. This is kind of funny. Comedians put this together. I don't know if you ever watch press conferences after f- sporting events and they interview the players and the coaches. This is the like the losing coach when they're just like, you know, they're tie loosened, they're all worn out, everything like that. I don't know, things didn't go well. But this is a dad after a long day of being a dad sitting up there at the table and uh, taking questions. Sum up the day. Yeah, honestly, just felt like we got behind early. After the milk spill and the marker on the wall, we just felt like we were playing catch-up the rest of the day. Right before you went to the store, you called a timeout. Was there an attitude change after that? Yeah, it felt like we were losing our heads there for a minute, so we wanted to just calm things down and uh, get back to the basics. Did you ever find your keys? No. No, no idea where they are. 
You gave him a snack half hour before dinner. Was that planned? No. I lost track of time. Was Just wasn't thinking. And so, you know, three bites of dinner. That's on me. It didn't look like you had many answers to the double team. Is that a question? Is that a question? <laughs> is that a question? But it's, it, the whole oh. thing is very funny. I want to hear the whole thing. At that's one, hilarious. At one point, he reaches up and pulls a Lego out of his hair. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, I just had to calm things down, things that yeah. gotten out of hand. And, uh, yeah, did you ever find I, your keys? No, no, I, I still don't know where they are. No, like we were losing our heads. <laughs> yeah. take a minute. Yeah. The, That's uh, beautiful. The snack, uh, 30 minutes before dinner time, was that planned? No, no, I just I lost track of time, and uh, that's on me. Three, three <laughs> bites at dinner, that's on me. <laughs> Oh, we have uh, we have the whole thing at armstrongandgetty.com. You can uh, zap it around to your friends and share it, watch the whole thing. And when I your kids that. are younger, that is very much what it's like at the end of the day. It's just, oh, my God. You, you called a timeout there just before the grocery. Yeah, yeah, I felt like. No, I love the, the, the beginning about how, yeah, I felt like after the milk spill and the marker on the wall, we just we, we were falling too far behind. <laughs> oh, having dealt with plenty of both of those. As have we all. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, that's beautiful. I can't. I may watch the whole thing during the commercials. Or, again, you can get it at armstrongandgetty.com along with our podcast and the rest of it. Uh, you know, getting back to the Jonah Goldberg piece that I was hammering earlier, one of his conclusions is that they're just so obsessed with feelings. Anything practical is, is you show contempt for it. All you care about is feelings. I don't know. Is that the personality type? I don't know. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How much can it grow America more? What's going to help you and your security more? The super wealthy having to pay three point, almost, yeah, three point nine percent less tax, or have an entire generation of Americans having associate degrees. That's why all the economists, even on Wall Street, are pointing out. Guess what? What did he say? Did you say you love me? What? It was. There's a ghost behind me. It grows the economy. I, oh, I understand the uh, the impact of a whisper in a speech, like to get attention. But if you already talk like this, yes. you can't do that. Yes, I thought we were already whispering. We're already whispering. You know what problem with that is? No one can hear you. <laughs> I lust for roast beef. What? <laughs> Say, <laughs> you know what, Jack? You promised us there are a couple of great pieces in the Wall Street Journal by how incredibly yeah. dangerous the messing yeah. with the DNA of our country is that Biden's doing. We ought to get to that this yeah. half hour if we can. Sure should. Apropos nothing and justified in no way. Clip number nineteen, please, Sean. Don't pet the snake. Wait, and what? twenty. Pet the python again. <laughs> what, <laughs> sir? <laughs> this is a drive-through. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, the uh, idiot Cuomo brother who's on TV, right? Yes. Yeah, as opposed to the one who's a governor. Is that just an expression he uses? Or? I, I, I can't imagine. Can Give I hear I... them both again yeah. back to back? Don't pet the snake. And? Okay. Pet the python again. Okay. 
<laughs> but a python is a snake. I'm confused. Don't pet the snake. All right. All right. Pet the python again. <laughs> I'm getting mixed messages. You're so fickle. All right. It feels so, semantical uh, in nature. I, I, is it a snake? I, is it a python? I, I don't know what those clips are from. I don't know what they mean. I don't care. <laughs> they just amuse me. <laughs> Uh, Michael, you remember what I asked you for earlier? Uh, I'll cue you. Wait for my visual cue. Here we go. It's a brand new feature on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Welcome to Joe Getty's Asia Fantasia. Because everything has to have a clever name. Right. <laughs> okay. All right, that's plenty of that. Make it stop. Uh, a couple of stories happen to be from Asia that I found really interesting. Number one, the Chinese Communist Party has again delayed the release of of their census results, and demographers think China is already experiencing negative population growth. Hmm. Um, A bunch of technical stuff you don't need to know. On April 29th, their uh, official National Bureau of Statistics published a one-sentence report that said, in 2020, China's population continues to grow, and specific data will be released in the 7th National Census Bulletin. But no data has been released, and it's way overdue. Uh, as early as last year, a well-known Chinese demographer and author of the book Big Country with an Empty Nest said in a post on Twitter that in his 2020 census simulation study using computer models, etc., he actually he projected the actual population of China is about 1.26 billion, does not exceed 1.28 billion, and is even less likely to be anywhere near the officially announced 1.4 billion. He thinks China is experiencing experiencing a sharp decline in birth and has serious long-term demographic problems. Hmm. They still have, you know, a a buttload of people, to use the technical term. Uh, But this guy actually thinks China, uh, I'm sorry, India may be bigger than China at this point. Hmm. But they have a catastrophic drop in birth rates. Anyway, I could go into the details, but who cares? And none of us would remember it tomorrow. Anyway, just remember China's got uh, giant demographic problems. Uh, the young people, the old people thing is way out of sync and, and getting worse. Uh, second story from Joe Getty's Asia Fantasia. Fantasia. There it is. Japan is going to go ahead with the Summer Olympics, they say, even though a large majority of Japanese people say, don't, we don't want it, no, which is interesting. Uh, a couple of things and you And they need don't to want know. it because of the uh, pandemic? I'm sure that answer is complicated. Now, we got a text yesterday. I don't know how representative it is, but somebody said, I got a, a worker friend who's in Japan, and their, their first shot vaccine isn't scheduled until september that's how far they are behind us and get them so if that's where they are in japan i can see why i mean if they haven't gotten on the whole vaccination train yet i can see why you think what are we doing here's the crazy part it's and i'll get to back to the olympic plans because they're kind of surprising uh but they they haven't had the vaccine they haven't given out the vaccine much because they haven't needed the vaccine okay um, they've achieved a remarkable feat. Overall deaths declined in 2020, even as they were surging in huh. the U.S. and much of the world. Uh, they kept their COVID toll low. Um, bah, bah, bah. So why? what did Japan do right? Now, keeping in mind that what did Florida do wrong? What did California do right? What yeah. did New York do right? These things change and evolve in a month after somebody answers it with great authority. Everything's changed and you realize that was a load of crap. But 
having, you know, given you a, a shaker of salt to, to put a grain of it with this. It already had a culture of mask wearing to prevent illness, mm, in, right. especially sure. during the cold weather. Masks became almost ubiquitous last year. Uh, the government also virtually closed its borders. And it was quick to focus on the settings where the coronavirus was most likely to spread. Listen to how sensible this is and how stupid it is we didn't have it uh, in this country. And Dr. Fauci, I'm looking at you, you old phony. Uh, the people <laughs> in Japan were warned to avoid the three C's. Closed spaces, crowded spaces, and close contact. Yeah, well, if we ever have one of these pandemics again in my lifetime, I hope we all just, like, throw on masks you know, close down large gatherings where people are closed together if you want. And leave everything else open. And now, we'll be fine. Certainly let the friggin' kids play in the park. Avoid the three C's. But listen to this. Brazil, and these numbers, again, they're, they're fairly accurate. Brazil's Bra- not in Asia. I thought this was Asia Fantasia. It is. But sometimes, Jack, you can best illustrate what's happening in Asia by looking outside. What, did somebody knock the Kyoto out of that guy's <laughs> hand or whatever he's playing. <clears throat> uh, Brazil had 1,900 deaths per million. Britain, 1,900. The U.S., 1,700, just for instance. Japan, 82. Wow. Not 8,200, 82. Why? Instead of 1,700 here, 82 Let me per move my abacus around. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. Uh, the success has led to one problem, however, writes the New York Times. Uh, Japan has been slow to vaccinate its population. Only 2% of residents have received a shot. No, well, sure. If nobody's dying or getting sick, you would think, what's the point? And they're dragging their feet over approving the vaccines and stuff like that. Uh, Japan is more than willing to shut down their borders and not worry about uh, Hillary Clinton calling them xenophobic and racist right. and the right. rest of that bull s. And I almost dropped an S-bomb. But getting back briefly to the Olympic thing, because I think you might find it interesting. Oh, uh, yeah, the Olympics. Yeah. Um, no fans outside of Japan. No international fans whatsoever. Athletes, coaches, journalists, and Olympic officials. Did not know that. Uh, many of whom will probably have already been vaccinated. They'll have to take several COVID tests before coming. Athletes will be tested every day during the Olympics, with others being tested less uh, frequently. Um, they're trying to get the few vaccines they have to the oldsters, but uh, don't plan on going to watch the Olympics. Huh. So we'll get to one of those Wall Street Journal pieces about how the uh, the new social programs coming out of the Biden administration is really going to change America and you know, if you lean right, it's for the worst. But it's there's no denying it. It's a major change. Seems like something we should discuss more than just kind of letting it happen. Because thank God, at least it's not Trump. You know that attitude. Well, um, it's a, it's not a, just a change in government or a change in programs. It's a change in families. It's a change in human beings and how we perceive life. Got a funny story of a politician's Zoom background that got him in trouble. I've never done the Zoom background thing, but uh, well, this person probably shouldn't have. Stay tuned. Speaking of school, New York City just announced that next year, snow days will be replaced with remote learning days. Which explains why third graders spent the day learning to say, friggin' de Blasio. (laughs) 
two pieces in the Wall Street Journal today, and this is like numbers 19 and 20 of the last two weeks of their opinion writers and guest opinion writers trying to make it clear to everyone that, look, this $7 trillion this and that the Biden, the Biden administration is pushing through is going to massively restructure society top to bottom and incentives and all kinds of different things. And we ought to maybe take a look at that before we, this is happening awfully fast, this complete restructuring of society. It's a lot more fundamental than just a government policy. You know, I'm going to start with the final paragraph of one of these op-ed pieces because I just Ooh, that's read innovative. It. I just thought, it. I just thought it was so good. Um, Very Tarantino-esque. Yeah, agreed. Where he says, uh, after everything he said in this uh, long article, it turns out that the true big steal of the 2020 election, Joe Biden never asked voters if they wanted to replace the American dream. He's doing it anyway. The headline on this one is Democrats are killing the American dream. Joe Biden's American Families Plan replaces individual striving with middle class entitlements from a guy named Daniel Heminger, who's been writing for the Wall Street Journal as long as I've been reading it. I'll just read a couple of paragraphs. President Biden's American Families Act makes one political reality officially clear. The Democratic Party has given up on the American dream. The Biden proposals coming as they do with the Democratic progressives rise to power present the American people with a once in a lifetime decision about what kind of country they want to live in for the next half century. Wait, it's not presented this way. Does it seem like it? Does it seem like it's being presented to people as this is a huge deal and we ought to debate it? We're just uh, helping people out, having the rich pay their fair share. This isn't about culture wars or standard Keynesian stimulus spending. The Biden plan is about public policies that will redesign American society. The American Families Plan and other recent Democratic legislation implicitly pose several important questions. Is the traditional American idea of upward mobility still important? If so, how should upward mobility happen? Through Washington or individual effort? Indeed, should the habit of individual striving give way to a presumably more important goal of nationalized paternalism? It's no surprise that a liberalism that embraced the 1619 Project's rewriting of the founding would not, stop, would not stop there and try now, despite its almost invisible congressional majority, to displace the country's originating idea of individual opportunity with a broad birth-to-death entitlement state. And then he goes through a long list of all the things that are being proposed that we've talked about quite a bit. I'll just give you a little more of this other uh, article that's in there today. Um, I just thought it was striking that it was the same day. That's good stuff. Troubling stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and what many people don't understand, and I don't really have time to explain, is that without some bad results, you can't have the incredibly good results we've had for the last 300 years. It, you have to have risk and reward. You have to have striving. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so this other piece uh, from a guy named Christopher DeMuth of uh, the Wall Street Journal. America's welfare state is on borrowed time. Biden has fully embraced the mad goal of giving 98% of the population lavish benefits at no cost. Has anyone noticed that the president has proposed increasing federal spending by nearly $1 trillion a year while promising that 98% of Americans will pay nothing for it? The very idea would have seemed mad to every previous generation of Americans. Today it is considered conventional. You know, it was pointed out yesterday in a podcast I was listening to that Joe Biden, um, he even on the stuff that he said he was wanting to do while he was running, he was way to the left of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I guess because 
Elizabeth and Bernie were so far out there that it didn't strike people that way. You know, that along with the at least he's not Trump crowd was uh, was enough to get him over. Well, and I take no pleasure in admitting this. I got completely duped by Biden. I thought his entire career was pointing toward what he would be as president. It's not at all. He veered so hard left. I'm astounded. He sees an opportunity to be a FDR type character. Um, let me get to this part. Uh, I, I didn't read this earlier in the show, and if you don't get all the hours of the show, you should go to armstrongandgetty.com where you can check out the podcast. There's stuff about the tax system that I hadn't uh, grasped before. Yeah, the a and On Demand is the uh, radio show repackaged, essentially. Then we do one more thing and have some other stuff, too. So it talks about the principle is driving force. The principle is the driving force of the Biden plans, which would be uh, financed mainly by new borrowing, not taxes. The principle is less salient in other advanced democracies because they raise healthy revenue from broad-based and often regressive levies on consumption, such as value-added taxes. The U.S., by contrast, has long depended on a highly progressive income tax that is complex and wasteful and produces relatively little revenue. The Amen. American- The American tax system is increasingly an adjunct of borrowed benefits policy, a means of distributing benefits rather than a means for paying for them. The the conversion of the IRS to a social welfare agency would continue apace under the Biden plans with their profusion of targeted tax credits for families and green energy. Making the point that the IRS is more in the business now of, you know, uh, moving money around to different people than it is to try to raise revenue to run the country. Yeah, I get it. Which is really interesting, and it's clearly yeah. true. Yeah. And so, and and uh, and politicians, you know, particularly on the left, have figured out that's the way to make that's the way to re- re- redistribute wealth. We take the IRS, which most people think of it as a you know a way to raise revenue, and we just make that the the arm of redistributing wealth. Yeah, it's an interesting distinction, but I think I get it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'd like to make a point that's only going to resonate with uh, boring eggheads like myself who have no friends outside of the Bastiat Society. Um, there are plenty <laughs> of ways to make a value-added tax not regressive or the fair tax or whatever. You exempt the first X amount of spending so that you know poorer families can buy everything they need and the rest of it, and, and they're not taxed. So it's... Oh, our tax system is such it's it's bizarre. It's it's astounding that it exists. It's impossible. No sentient being would create it. And yet it is unprecedented aggressiveness in the Biden administration and Congress toward a welfare state. Yeah, I didn't. I, I expected this is the direction the United States would go eventually. I just didn't think it could happen this freaking fast. Yeah, and as Cal Unicornians, we'd like to point out to the rest of y'all how it works. You get the broadest possible uh, group of people on the receiving end of benefits. They de- they begin to depend on the government. They expect the government to give them money. Uh, they will always vote for you. And then you restrict the uh, the tax base as tightly as you can to as few people as you can. Demonize them, insist they pay their fair share, insist that it's unholy for middle class people to pay significant taxes or whatever, and you're undefeatable as a political party. Who, what are the one percent going to vote you out? They can't. But you are you are very defeatable as an entity as you go broke, like California, oh, yeah. Illinois, and other you know big tax states are. How are the states that have the highest taxes going broke? Well, it's because you've doled out so much stuff, and that's when now what the whole country is going to do. Mm-hmm. And there's very little pushback. Almost none. And and then not from the Republicans. Not from the freaking Republicans. 
and yet we saw that poll the other day that it was a pretty significant. It was like two thirds of Americans are highly concerned about the national yeah. debt or whatever. Yeah. I don't. What's going on? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't even know what to think anymore. Oh, I forgot to talk about this. Do I have time? How much time I got, Michael? I got uh, about two minutes. Oh, I can jam this in. Every other word. Politician's Zoom background can't hide fact that he's actually driving. Do we have this posted at armstrongandgetty.com? Because the visual is key. But I'll try to describe it to you. It's the typical Zoom meeting you've been on where there's a bunch of people in little boxes on there, right? And it's uh, kind of funny that the politicians are actually debating various distracted driving laws. This guy's got this beautiful background behind him of like a sunset in the trees or whatever like that. Nice. Unfortunately, he's too far up in the background where you can see his seatbelt. He's actually driving <laughs> in his car, debating distracted driving. Oh. You know, you see him. Not only can you see his seatbelt there in his lovely, you know, backyard garden <laughs> look that he's got there, but he keeps like looking back and forth, checking his blind spot, you know, trying to back up and all oh, that. At least so he's, he's doing that. He's, he's obviously driving. It's not even a close question. As the seatbelt, <laughs> just right through the middle of it. <laughs> I- I hope the guy's pulled over by the irony police and ticketed. We have that video at armstrongandgetty.com and, of course, all the hours of the podcast. And uh, next hour is going to be good, too, I hope. Yeah, and that great video of the uh, the tired dad holding a press conference. Just so funny. Good stuff. All at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.